In this talk, we look at entryways and how the key of renunciation is used to close those doors that the enemy used to enter our lives. And then we'll look at the key of authority, taking back that authority given to us in Christ. Renunciation simply means I'm done with it. I make no place for it. I'm taking back my life in the name and person of Jesus Christ. Renunciation breaks any legal access the evil one has, refusing to make a place for the lies of the enemy to reside. Learning to renounce the enemy is part of our Christian heritage. You're probably familiar with the RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. It's based on how the early Christians were bringing people into the church in the 3rd and 4th century. Only at that time, the catechumenate was a three-year period of initiation, a long period of instruction about what it meant to come out of the world and into the kingdom. And they would be prayed for, for deliverance regularly as, as they prepared for baptism. The catechumen, it was that long, not to make sure they learned all their catechism, but to make sure of their commitment and also to make sure there was no longer any evil spirit at work. And at the Easter Vigil then, the candidates would gather with the community for baptism. They'd face the West as the sun set and proclaim, I renounce Satan. I renounce all his works. I renounce all his empty promises. And then they would turn towards the East and profess their faith in the risen Lord. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And declare those basic truths of the faith and the Apostles' Creed. Those catechumens knew that that moment they were immersed in the waters of baptism. They were truly dying. My life as I know it is over. They were going to be buried with Christ, in Christ. And when they come out, they come out a new creation. This was a public declaration, expression of their long process of conversion. But also a moment for the whole community to recall. Just as we do every year at the Easter, we still do this. We renew our baptismal promises. We're saying, I remember how I was set free by Christ how I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how I was anointed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and taken into the banquet of the Lord's Supper. We may not have gone through a three-year initiation, but we're here because we can take back whatever the enemy has stolen, any areas of our lives we've been blinded, keeping us from the fullness of what God has for us and has given us. The first crucial point, like those catechumens, is that we all need to make a personal decision to accept the saving sovereignty of Christ. Pope Francis proposes that unfailingly each day, every one of us make a genuine and personal act, turning once again to Christ, asking him to be with us. The Pope even suggests the words one might use. Lord, I've let myself be deceived. In a thousand ways, I have shunned your love. Yet here I am once more to renew my covenant with you. 
I need you. Save me once again, Lord. Take me once more into your redeeming embrace. Today is the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, and we have such a beautiful summary of the entire gospel in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so when we look at the crucifix, it shows the price Christ paid for you and me. It reveals the value of my life in the eyes of God. It reveals how much God adores and loves me and chooses me despite my sinfulness. As Matt said so well, healing and deliverance is essentially bringing an open heart to God in order to encounter his love. Most of Unbound is removing and unlocking the box we've constructed around our heart. To do that, we must renounce anything that doesn't belong to God. Renounce anything that we've identified with that's apart from Christ. Something that doesn't belong to him. That's the heart of what is meant by the third key, renunciation. Moreover, our conversion to Christ is not just a one-time event but ongoing. Deliverance is a process. We don't get it all at once. Times there are major victories, other times there are minor ones. We want to see our life as cooperating with the Holy Spirit, letting him do the work of setting us free. We keep our eyes on Jesus and say, I trust in you. Let him do the healing in us. The church has repeatedly taught that we're justified not by our own works or efforts, but by the grace of the Lord who always takes the initiative. The five keys are a way for us to cooperate with his work, to remove any obstacles that might be keeping us stuck or barriers that are blocking him working in us. The the second crucial point after that personal faith in Christ is that we identify and name our enemies and their strategies, and in doing so, we gain power over them. The key of renunciation is about observing and uncovering the entryways the enemy has made, how the patterns in your life have begun and developed into a negative influence. As I said before, we can't give all the credit to the work and influence of the evil spirits. Our issues also involve an interaction between sin, our emotional and psychological issues, scars and wounds that develop from the traumas in our life, developmental issues, our strengths, weaknesses, and personality. Deliverance is not just looking for evil spirits. It's looking at the person, looking at the whole person and all these aspects so that we can take hold of our freedom. Deliverance is most effective when we can identify those lies, those doors that were opened to give the enemy a place in our life. And the Unbound Model hands you these five keys so that you can pray with these tools yourselves and continue to do this even after the weekend. Uncover those lies and renounce them. Neil Lozano identifies eight 
possible entryways. And again, if you have the spiral companion workbook, that's, you know, you don't, you don't have to re rewrite them all down. The first is unconfessed sin, repeated sin. Those ingrained patterns, habits of sin that become a bondage. For Jesus says in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The nature of sin is that it enslaves us. It brings us into bondage. It makes it harder for us to distinguish right from wrong. Ingrained patterns of sin especially become a stronghold where we start to deny or justify sin. And when we do that at that moment, we're now in agreement with the enemy. We give him a right to build a stronghold, a place for him to dwell in us. We deceive ourselves with thoughts like, God understands. It's just a small thing. We tend to blame others and move away from responsibility for our sins. All these thoughts, these lies, are agreeing with the enemy and making a place for him in our thoughts. A stronghold is a house built of thoughts, a pattern of thinking. Instead of repentance, we compromise with the sin. And now it's not just a problem of sin. It can become an addiction, a compulsion, and demonically empowered. The second entryway is our response to trauma. We need to take responsibility for how we responded to the negative events that have happened to us. For example, someone's betrayed you, and you made a personal vow like, I'll never trust another person again. Well, you just bound yourself. And now you've restricted your own freedom to be able to enter into a relationship. Or someone who feels they didn't belong or weren't accepted in their family. So they strive to be perfect. And they build their lives around this perfectionism. Believing it's the only way they can be accepted and loved. Whatever it is, our response to the things that happened. If I made a judgment or choice that left me, left me filled with self-pity or anger or self-blame. Too often we let those things become patterns and we live out our life based on those patterns. And so we take responsibility. It's not about a matter of assigning blame. It's taking responsibility for those patterns in our life that don't line up with God's patterns. We look at our past responses together with the Lord and recognize those times I've withheld my heart from him. A third entryway is family sin. Sinful patterns are sometimes passed from one generation to the next. Sometimes in subtle ways, we're affected by the atmosphere we grew up in. But we're not cursed for life. We have the opportunity now to choose life, to cancel the enemy's plans to bring us down. God wants to give us freedom. Again, not by our own willpower, but by taking hold of our freedom in Christ. And so through those keys of repentance and renunciation, you take responsibility for how the evil spirits present in your family have affected you and may be present in your life. We honestly just look and see those negative patterns 
and then can deal with them. The next is curses and self-inflicted curses. For example, a person says, I hate myself or I hate my body. That's agreement with the lie of the enemy that allows him to come in and hold that person in a pattern of self-hatred. An evil spirit, again, needs to find a place to rest in us. And so now we cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand and find that place where it's resting. For someone to put a spell or curse on you, there must be a foundation of fear or unbelief or agreement. Or only if you gave that person authority, such as taking a crystal from them or giving them your palm to read your fortune. You're giving that authority over it, allowing that spirit to be at work over you. And so we recognize the fear, the unbelief, or the lie, and we renounce it, uncovering that empty way that allowed the curse to take hold. So whenever that lie comes, whatever it is, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You can respond by saying, you don't know who my father is. No curse, no lie can have power over me if I take hold of my identity. And of course, today, how we take hold of the power that comes from the cross. Taking hold of who we are also means setting boundaries, not just accepting everything that comes from others as the truth. A fifth entryway is involvement with the occult. The very word occult means hidden. And so what it looks like on the surface is not its true meaning. I remember in junior high, right? We had a sleepover at a friend's house and they had a Ouija board. It says Parker Brothers on the side, right? It's just a game. No, the enemy loves darkness and to work in hidden ways. Ouija boards, fortune tellers, psychics, seances, horoscopes, witchcrafts. There's a long list in the back of the Unbound book. The Catechism explains this in its section on the First Commandment, number 2116. All forms of divination are to be rejected. Recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, clairvoyance, recourse to mediums. They all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and the last analysis over other human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. So the occult is really just a setup in which another way that we allow fear to enter our hearts because there's a lack of trust. And so we surrender our authority over and allow the enemy to become entangled in our life. And so we renounce any of those entryways. The sixth entryway is rebellion and disobedience. If we reject a God-given authority over it, it can open us up to that influence of evil spirits for Those destructive influences want to capture us. And so this, especially, you know, for children and teenagers, you know, obviously the realities of peer pressure and unhealthy associations. 
A broken relationship with one's parents is very dangerous as our parents are to be one of the sources of our identity that help us to understand who we are as children of God. Our identity is in Christ, which requires obedience as he is the Lord and no one else. The seventh entryway is identification with the lives we have believed. When I identify with a lie so much, it seems to belong and is part of me. The evil spirits become entangled with our self-perception and personality and develop into those thought patterns and responses that we built up over time. The last entryway is sexual intercourse outside of marriage. God created sexual intercourse with the intention that it have a binding effect. As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute becomes one body with her, for it is written the two will become one flesh. And so intercourse outside of marriage creates a wound, an open door through a place of rejection and hurt. There are spiritual bonds, soul ties that are formed that need to be broken. Especially if this person was spiritually wounded or in bondage themselves. And all these things, it's not that we have to worry or be concerned about this. It's just simply time that we take care of it. Take back whatever the enemy has stolen, anything we've given away. I already mentioned the first part of my own story. Believing and living the lie that I had to earn the father's love because of my experience thinking I had to earn my dad's love. But that's only half the story. Many times in our modern culture and even in our families, we're taught that our value comes from how our body looks or how much we make or the things we have. I have a physical feature that many people notice. It's always interesting. Some don't know how to bring it up and others aren't afraid to come right out and ask why I walk with a limp. Well, it's not a limp per se. It's a tightness of the muscles in my legs and back associated with a mild form of cerebral palsy that I was born with. As a result, growing up with cerebral palsy, I often worried about what other people thought, how it made me look funny, how I couldn't run as fast, wasn't as coordinated, and I wasn't good at sports. Another measure our culture uses to judge value and worth. At times, I felt left out or different. And that memory of getting chosen last to be on the kickball team every single time. How did I react to that? I remember the conscious thought sometime in junior high that God had made a mistake. God must have messed up somewhere along the line because he had created me imperfect. Now, thankfully, I didn't believe that lie for quite as long as the other one. I had good parents and teachers who helped me to know the truth that Psalm 139 speaks of. Oh, Lord, you searched me and known me. You created every part of me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But renunciation is taking responsibility for our response to past events. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I began to see how I allowed that lie to enter into my personality. I used the excuse of being introverted to try to avoid relationships and avoid ever being hurt. 
I tried to escape, isolating myself, sometimes in things that seemed like good things, like books and work. Other things that were not so good, like video games and fantasy. In some, I not only had to renounce the lie, but the immature patterns of isolation and self-protection that led me to fail to love and trust. It all started with that lie that God had screwed up for believing that God can make a mistake. And I fell into patterns of thinking I had to manufacture my own happiness because I sure can't trust God to do that. I have to plan for my own well-being, forgetting he has my greatest happiness in mind. Thankfully, after renouncing the lie and the resulting strongholds I developed, I've not only accepted how this is the way God made me, I've had it confirmed that God in his mysterious plan wanted a priest with cerebral palsy. I can't explain exactly why, but I'm not going to let that shape my identity. Plus, I don't let it stop me from bicycling, golfing, or doing anything else I want. It simply means I'll never touch my toes. To conclude with some final words about authority, we have spiritual enemies that work through lies and deception. They rob us of the freedom we've been given in Christ. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been saved from them. The enemy has been defeated. How appropriate today that we're celebrating the victory of the cross. And then the Lord has sent and given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have authority in Christ against our enemies. Authority is defined as the power to act on someone's behalf. And as sons and daughters of God, we carry his authority over our enemies. Once a believer has repented of sin, forgiven others, and identified and renounced the deception, the enemy's power is broken. Now he is bound, not us. Speaking a word of command, speaking a word of authority, is simply acting on that truth. It is understanding and knowing the truth and simply saying, in the name of Jesus, not by my authority, but in the name of the one who has been given all authority in heaven and earth, in union with the one who won the victory, who is my Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus, I command every evil spirit that I have renounced to leave right now. Now, if there's still unrepented sin, unforgiveness, or agreement with the lies of the enemy, and you're trying to drive those spirits out, you'll be left in conflict. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit to help us identify those entryways, especially any of those foundational lies that have opened the legal right for the demonic influence. We identify the lie, and we renounce the spirit behind the lie. That's why the word of command is only given after we've done the keys of repentance, forgiveness, and renunciation. The command is faith that we have authority. We take back the permission that opened any door. And we know the enemy has to leave. And so the word of command doesn't require a huge act of faith. It's simply knowing once the legal right of the enemy has bro broken, they have to go. 
This is the power and victory of the cross. And so authority is simply how we take back what is ours in Christ. As sons and daughters, we need to recognize we have authority to carry out our Father's business. Pray for that grace to want to be freed. Receive the love and acceptance God has for you and be changed by the truth. Come out of the kingdom of darkness. May we come fully into our inheritance as sons and daughters of God, given to us in Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and honor forever. Amen.